Father, we thank you for the gift of time. Lord, the most precious commodity that you have given us. Lord, we confess that, that so often we waste time. We throw it away. Lord, so often that the, the, we act as though the, the, the times of, of our days are our time. Lord, I, I pray that as we examine this passage of Scripture together this morning, that, that you would reshape our thinking, to bring it into submission, to bring it in line with, with your word, and, and Lord, help us to understand your will in our lives. Lord, I pray that you do this in the power of your Holy Spirit, that, that our lives would be changed, that all of our lives would be changed. Lord, that by your Spirit you would, would shine your light into our hearts and, and help us, Lord, to to submit ourselves to, to your word. Lord, to be asking you what you would have us do. Lord, we, we pray that, that in this congregation that there would be no wasted lives. We ask this for the glory of your name. Amen. Like sands through the hourglass, these are the days of our lives. <laughs> they're profound words, aren't they? These are the days of our lives. and They're profound, but, but isn't it ironic that they actually mark the opening of, of a soap opera, the days of our lives. In fact, it is the, the North America's longest running soap opera. It's been on the air since 1965. So without even dealing with the, the immoral content of, of that program, I wonder how many hours have people wasted watching the days of our lives. Not living their lives, but watching immoral lives on television. Now, I know that this wouldn't describe the ladies in our church, but it does bring to mind the stereotypical image of a housewife sitting on the couch in a robe, eating bonbons, watching soap operas instead of doing housework. But I know that wouldn't describe anybody here. Or, or what about a man sitting in front of the TV in his undershirt, spending all day watching football with a beer in one hand and a bag of Cheetos in the other? Or what about a young man sleeping in until noon? Or a young woman compulsively checking her Facebook account ten times an hour? Or a teenage boy staying up until three in the morning playing Xbox? Or a teenage girl hanging out all day at the mall? Or a child watching cartoons all day. But we know that, that those categories aren't isolated, to, those activities aren't isolated to those categories of people. I've known older women who are addicted to Facebook and I've known, I've known older men who stay up most of the night playing video games. And any of us could waste time in, in these ways or any of a hundred different ways. And maybe your, your favorite pastime isn't listed here, but I hope you get the picture. The question is the same we ask the kids. What, what does God want for your life? What do you live for? Many people, even many of us here in this room, live for leisure. They live for, for, live for, 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 for times that they can be idle, that they can waste time. And I call it idle a tree. It, it's really, it's foolishness. But as we'll see, not all foolishness it involves, involves being idle. 
Some people who are very busy are walking in foolishness according to God's word. Here in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17, the Apostle Paul is still contrasting Christian behavior with that of unbelievers. He is still telling the Ephesian Christians and us to put off sin and to put on righteousness. And here it's about putting off foolishness and putting on wisdom. And there's really two main points. First of all, don't be unwise. Redeem the time, verses 15 and 16. And then verse 17, don't be foolish. Understand the Lord's will. So first of all, verses 15 and 16, don't be unwise. Redeem the time. Verse 15 reads, look carefully then as you walk, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, as wise. He says carefully, he says, look carefully how you walk. Now the word that's translated carefully there means something that is, is done accurately or precisely or with close attention. It's strict conformity to a standard. Andrew Murray explains that Paul bids them keep a close watch on the principles by which they are regulating their lives. Like Proverbs 15.21, Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Paul is telling us here to walk straight ahead in the service of our Lord. <coughs> I wonder, are you taking vigilant care in your walk through this world? Are you watching every step? Are you guarding your steps, not just to guard against sin, but to guard against distractions that divert you from your God-given duties? And even to guard against doing good things from a wrong motive. This is the fifth time that Paul uses the term walk from, from chapter 4, verse 1 until now. And, and, and what it really describes here is the practical outworking of the blessings of salvation that we have received in Jesus Christ. And again, I, I know I say this every week, but I really made to, need to make this abundantly clear. That the Apostle Paul, in, this, in, in chapter 4 to the, to the end of, of chapter 6, is not talking about how you could earn your salvation. It's very practical. If you... He's telling you what to do. But if you look at that apart from what he said in the first three chapters, the, the doctrinal chapters of this passage, you're really going to miss Paul's point. He's saying that those who are saved in Christ, those who, who have been redeemed by God's grace, this is how they are to walk. This is how you are to walk as one who is saved. Paul prayed in, in chapter 1, verses 17 to 19, that God would give those in the church a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, now he had already, God had already given the spirit to his people, but what he's talking about here is that, the, that, that through the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, as they look at what God's word says about these things, that they would begin to understand more of the mystery of the gospel of salvation, and that they would increasingly walk in it. This requires wisdom from the Lord. You need wisdom from the Lord in, under, in order to understand how the Lord would have you walk. But here's the thing. You already have it. You already have it. You already have wisdom from God. It's, it's like we, we saw last week as Paul was saying, be what you are. 
Right? Do you remember that? Be what you are. Last week it was, you are light, so walk as light. And this week it, it's, you are wise, so walk as wise. Beloved, God has lavished His wisdom and His grace upon your life. Now walk in that wisdom. Now grow in that wisdom. This is the express opposite of the way you used to live. It's the express opposite of the way you used to live when you were not a Christian. Paul's description of the pagans in chapter 4, verses 17 to 19, is a, a, a really an accurate description of you prior to your salvation. Futile in mind, darkened in understanding, alienated from life, ignorant, hard-hearted. It's not a pretty picture, but it was a picture of you. But not anymore. Not anymore, because if you are in Christ, you have been given great wisdom. Just think for a, for a moment about the wisdom that you've been given. Are you trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That is God-given wisdom. Do you fear the Lord? That is God-given wisdom. Does the thought of sinning against God trouble you? That is God-given wisdom. Are you looking to God's word to discern right and wrong? That's God-given wisdom. So do you get the point? You already have wisdom. And Paul is telling you to walk in it. The Bible describes all kinds of ways that we're to walk in in wisdom, but, but what does it mean in, in this context? Well, we can see from verse 16, making the best use of time. Making the best use of time. Now, it means literally redeeming the time, as it's translated in the King James. This, this is a word that was used in the marketplace. It means to take full advantage of every opportunity. It means to work urgently. Believers are to act wisely by making the most of every opportunity to glorify God. The wise care how they live. They, they know that, that every choice, that, that every moment they have can, can make a difference for eternity. They want to make a difference for the glory of God. A, a wise person knows when to say no. But who is it that you need to say no to most? Yourself. You need to learn to say no to yourself. No to that, that temptation just to spend hours playing a game on your phone. No to that temptation to hit the snooze button one more time. No to that compulsion to check Facebook again. But it's not just saying no. It's also saying yes. It's saying, instead of, of saying, instead of doing what you want to do to please your flesh and to follow after the, the, the ways of the world and the enemy, it's, it's saying yes to what the Lord would have you do. Again, this is put off, put on. So get up early and spend time with the Lord in prayer and Bible study. If, if you have a few moments, call a friend to encourage them. Share the gospel with your neighbor. Memorize a passage of scripture. Visit someone who's not been able to make it out to church. Th these are uh, what the, the things that the Lord would have us do with His time. It's not our time. It's not your time. It is His time. 
But redeeming the time doesn't just mean doing the right thing. It means doing the best thing. It means doing the best thing. As Oswald Chambers said, the good is always the enemy of the best. The good is always the enemy of the best. Are you satisfied with, with even just doing things that are good instead of seeking what God's best is? in order for you to serve Him for the greatest glory of His name. Being wise means to be diligent in the service of the Lord. John Bloom, in an article on this passage for Desiring God, wrote that a diligent person must learn to strategically neglect lesser priorities. To strategically neglect lesser priorities. You know, you can waste a lot of time doing good things. Instead, seek to do the best things. Seek to do the best things. You know, even reading and studying theology can be time-wasting if you're not doing it for yourself and for others, for, for edification. But it's not just wanting to be diligent. It, it's certainly not less than being diligent. But in actuality, it is a whole lot more. Even the world knows the benefits of hard work. Even the world knows the detriments of wasting time. Even the world wants fulfillment and success. But the problem is that they are satisfied with too little. They're satisfied with too little. Now, I don't agree with everything that C.S. Lewis said, but, but he accurately describes all of us to some degree when he says that we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on playing, making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what it means by the, what is meant by an offer of the holiday at the sea. Are you comfortable making mud pies in the slums because you can't imagine great things that, that God has for His people? He says we are far too easily pleased. So often we live like the world, as though we can be satisfied with the things that the world is satisfied with. But don't you want so much more? Don't you want so much more out of life? Are, are you satisfied with anything less than living a life, living the life that God has given you for the glory of His name? But many of us walk through each day carelessly, with, with little in the way of self-examination. We don't int intentionally consider how we can glorify God in each moment, but instead make it a habit to, to ask yourself, what is the best way that I can serve God with this time? Or better yet, ask the Lord to show you, and He will. Ask Him to show you how you can best serve Him in those unscheduled times. In, in those times where they're discretionary, that, where you really don't have anything scheduled, but, but ask the Lord to show you how you can best serve Him with those moments. Even ask Him to, how you can best glorify Him when you're hard at work. May all of your life, your, even the, the mundane things of work, may they all be done for the glory of God. This is how you, you raise your life out of the, the, the doldrums of, of being satisfied with too little. 
when you begin to understand what God is calling you to do, to do at every moment of every day, it's, it, as, as Abby said when, when she was walking down, it's exciting. It's exciting to think that, that, that little us are able to actually glorify God in the way that we live our lives. Does that excite you? Years ago when I was in seminary, one of the, uh, we had a, a guest preacher come in and, and he told an illustration of, of a professor before an MBA class. And, and uh, at the beginning of the class, he, he took a, a, an empty jar and, and put it up on the, on the desk. Some of you might be familiar with this illustration. And this big empty jar, and he asked these MBA students, they're very driven people. He said, he said so is this jar full or empty? And, and some wiseacre probably said, oh, well, it's, it's full of air. But, he, but that wasn't the point. Then he, he took a bag of rocks, and he took these, these you know, big rocks and, and poured them into the jar, and, and, and he said, is it full now? And they said, yes. And we said, no, it's not. And, and then he took, he took some smaller rocks, and he, and he put them into the, into the bag, or into the, the jar, rather, and, and, and shook it around so they settled in. And he said, is it full now? And they, they, they caught on to it by now, and they said, no. There's probably room for something more. And he said, you're right. So he took sand and put sand in there. And said, again, is it full? And he said, yes. And he said, no. He took water and he poured water into the jar. And he said, now it's full. Now the jar is full. But he asked them, what is the point of this object lesson? Remember, these are MBA students. They're, they're, they tend to be driven. And, he, and one student said, well, it's that no matter how much we do, there's always room for more. But he said, no, that's actually not, that's not the point of this. The point is that if you don't put the big rocks in first, you're not going to have room for the smaller stuff. If you don't make priorities, if you don't set your priorities to do that which is most important, then, then you will never be able to live a life that glorifies God in any way. That the big rocks... The most important things are, are the things that we do for the glory of God. But when you understand that, that, that all of life is to be lived for the glory of God, then, then even the smaller rocks and the sand and the water are all, all the, the, even the smaller things that we do are all meant to be for the glory of God. So Paul says then, he says, to look carefully as you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. And then he, at the end of verse 16, he tells us why. He says, because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. We are living in evil days, as in, this, in the early church, they were living in evil days. But the days are evil because the world is under the influence of Satan the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2.2. Satan is opposed to God and opposed to the advance, advancement of God's kingdom. Satan is against you, and he will do everything that he can to prevent you from living for God and serving God. He will tempt you not just with opportunities to sin, but also with opportunities to squander time. And by that I, I also mean that he will, he will tempt you with opportunities to do good things for the wrong motives. To work hard at your job for career advancement. 
to be, to be kind to people so that they like you. To work hard to, to, to get more money. Beloved, time is short. And eternity hangs in the balance. Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, The Preciousness of Time, wrote, "'Tis upon the improvement of time that there depends an escape from an infinite evil and an obtaining of an infinite good. And this puts an infinite value upon time." He's saying that, 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 that upon the, the, the improvement of time, by redeeming the time, by making the most of, of every moment, depends an escape from the infinite evil of hell and of obtaining the infinite good of God's glory in heaven. Now again, this is not works-based salvation, but we're talking about people who show their, 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 the fruit of their salvation in their good works reveals that they are truly saved. Some of us will be gone from this earth in the next five years. And it might not just be the older folks. Some of us may not live out the year. Some of us may not live out the week. In James 4.14, where we're warned, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, for what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes. Again from Edwards, time is so short and the work so great that we have to do in it that we have none of it to spare. What God is calling us to is such a great and monumental task that we don't have any spare time. If you understand the spiritual reality, you realize the weightiness of this. You don't have any spare time. The less that you have of a commodity, the more precious it is. And time is a commodity that is more precious than the most precious diamonds. Better than that, it's more precious than gold. If you knew that you only had a few years left in this world, how would you live your life? Or a few days? Or even a few hours. Think about yourself on your deathbed. If the Lord tarries, this is a reality that all of us will face. Do you want to look back with regret over squandered time? You know, I shudder to think if there was a was a tally of, of the number of hours that I spent playing Nintendo. time that I wasted, the time that I threw away, or, or countless other ways that I have wasted time. Do you want to look back on a, on a life, on your life with regret, or would you rather look back on a life that is well lived for the glory of God? This is a choice, really, that, that all of us have to make, and, and, and you might even be thinking about the, about the time, and I hope you're thinking about the time that you've wasted in your life so far. But it doesn't have to continue that way. With the time that you have remaining, whatever time that, that God gives you, you have the opportunity to, to make a change and to say, I want to live for God. I want my life to mean something. 
I want to glorify Him. Are you seeking to redeem the time? Are you making the most of, of every moment? Just think back over the past week. How much time have you wasted? How much time have you wasted in front of the television, or the computer, or, or reading trashy novels, or an idle chatter? But, but it's not just that. How much of your so-called productive time has really been done with no thought of God at all? You've just been, been doing it because this is what I do. But instead, maybe you can think about, as we talked about a few weeks ago, beginning to see your life as a calling. The, the work that you do as a, as a calling from God is an opportunity to, to, you know, opportunity to serve Him in the strength that He gives. Instead, to see at your social interactions as an opportunity to, to shine the light of Christ. To see your time at church as an opportunity to love and to serve others. Now, we all need to repent of something here. This is a, a net that catches all of us and reveals that all of us have, have sin in these areas. So, so what do you do? Ask the Lord to forgive you. Repent. Turn away from wasting time and asking Him to help you to redeem the time. And the Lord has given you means of grace to help you to do that. Look to the example of, of saints in history. Think of people like William Carey, the, the shoemaker's apprentice who became the pioneer of the modern missions movement. He stood against the hyper-Calvinism of his day that, that said that, that sharing the gospel is not necessary and went to India and lived out his days in India. And he did not see converts for, I think it was, was 30 years. He faithfully served God and God began to, to bear fruit through his name. Or, or think about Amy Carmichael who worked with orphans in India for 56 years and never returned home. Or think about John Bunyan, the, the pot tinker who became a preacher, who while he was in prison for evangelism wrote Pilgrim's Progress, the, the second bestseller of all time after the Bible. Or think of Joni Erickson Tata, paralyzed in a diving accident. She's written over 40 books helping people to know and trust God, and especially encouraging them to trust in God's sovereignty. These are simple people being used by a great God to do amazing things. Are you a simple person? Do you have a great God? Then allow Him, beg Him to enable you to do great things in you and through you for the glory of His name. Another means of grace, and an even more powerful one, is to look to the example of the saints in scriptures. I, I really encourage you, even today with your families, to sit down and, and to, to read Hebrews chapter 11, that the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Now we can tend to, to exalt the, the men and the women of the, of the Bible, but... but but they're there for us, warts and all. These are sinful people, just like you and me. Again, they're sinful and simple people who God used, this great God used for the glory of His name. Think of, of these men and women of faith, of, of God, of Noah, of Abraham.
Abraham of, of Sarah. The, the Bible is full of flawed people who did amazing things for God in the strength that he provided. Beloved, we're no different than them. We serve the same God. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's the cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 11, and, and also the, we, can buy, we can apply that to the cloud of witnesses throughout church history, and even the cloud of witnesses that we have here in our congregation, let us lay aside the every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And this is not just laying aside sin. This is laying aside every weight, every hindrance that keeps us from living our lives for the glory of God. What is hindering you from living your life for the glory of God? Ask the Lord to reveal that to you. He will. He will help you to change. But then, that then takes us to the ultimate means of grace. To the ultimate example. Hebrews 12, 2 looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us there to do is to follow Christ, to keep our eyes fixed on Christ so that we will live our lives for Christ. And when you're living your life for Christ, sin and weights will fall away left and right. So from a biblical perspective, anything that is not done for the glory of God is wasting time. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do. Now I want to say here that that does, does not mean that you can never watch TV. It doesn't mean that you can never sleep in. There is a time to relax. But what is your heart in those things? Again, from Hebrews 3.17, we can see that it's really a heart issue. When you see yourself as, as a servant of Christ, then, then, then your time, all of your time, belongs to Christ. You understand that, and so it's going to change the way that you're going to spend your moments. Not just the blocks of time, not just those big rocks, but, but the, the smaller time, the sand and the water. It's going, to, it's going to change the way that you live your life. And so that when you do have opportunities to relax, at, at the end of a, of a hard day's work, You'll be thankful. You'll be thankful for those times. You'll be thankful to the God who gave you those times to relax. And you'll be, excuse me, you'll be far less likely to lapse into laziness and time wasting. In Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, he said, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way. I possibly can. Not to lose one moment of time, but to improve it. Do you want to live that way? I confess it, it scares me a little bit to, to think about living a life that way. I, I guess it probably, I want to want to live that way. 
It's a struggle that we all face. We, we feel the, the pull of the world and the flesh and the devil to, to do things the way the world does it, to, to do things the way we want to do it, the way our flesh wants to do it, instead of, of living a life wholesale, sold out for God. Would you commit to praying that the Lord would make you a person like that? That it make all of us people like that. that. That we could pray that prayer, that we could make that, that resolution that, that Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards made wholeheartedly. But when you understand that Christ lived his entire life for the, for the glory of God, for the redemption of his people, for the redemption of you, not just for the, the nameless, faceless humanity, but for you, for his bride. When you begin to understand that, it changes the way you live your life in the big things and the so-called small things. Finally and quickly, don't be foolish. Understand the Lord's will. Paul here in verse 17 is, is developing the principle. He's intensifying and expanding it. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, because of what he just said, because the days are evil, do not enter into a foolish state. I like, I like uh, Francis Folk's definition of foolishness as moral stupidity in action. Foolishness is moral stupidity in action. Again, foolishness is, is contrasted with wisdom, but, but wisdom here is presented, the, the definition is expanded to, to include um, understanding the will of the Lord. Wisdom is understanding the will of the Lord. Now when Paul talks about understanding the Lord's will, he's, he's talking about discernment. He's not talking about, about God's secret will in the sense of, of who to marry and what job to take, but his revealed, his revealed will in the sense of, of moral issues as revealed in the scriptures. And Paul had said it just in verse, in verse 10 of chapter 5, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's, that's really the same thing, to understand the Lord's will. But understanding the will of the Lord is not just about knowing the truth. It's not just about good doctrine. It, it isn't just getting an A plus on a, a theological exam. Now don't get me wrong, understanding doctrine is vitally important, but it mustn't stop there. It must lead to works that glorify God. A, a lack of understanding is not just a lack of knowledge, but it comes from the rejection of God. So it's not just ignorance, it is willful ignorance. <clears throat> the voices of the world and the flesh and the devil speak very loudly. The world tells us that the teaching of the Bible is outdated. The world has even infiltrated the church twisting scripture to, to support its agenda and, and coming up with, with new ideas that, that are, are, are very different from what the church has believed and taught throughout history. The flesh demands to be satisfied. It will seek to, to justify or to downplay sinful behavior. The devil tries to deceive you and to destroy you and he also will twist scripture for his purposes. 
Listening to those voices is foolishness. You need to drown them out by preaching God's Word in its proper context back to yourself. That's how you can understand the will of the Lord, by looking to His Word. Last week we talked about Romans 12, 1 and 2, and, and it's, this is vital, so I'm going to say it again. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now hear this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how is your, your mind renewed? By studying God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. By asking the Lord to, to help you to understand and to put these things into practice. In order to do that, you need to go to God's Word. Not pulling verses here and there out of context to try to fit your agenda, but submitting your mind to what God's Word says and accepting it completely, without reservation. And wisdom is contrasted with foolishness throughout the Scriptures. We see wisdom contrasted with foolishness, especially in Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 14.8, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Those of you who are here for our study of 1 Corinthians would, would, would hopefully remember the, the repeated contrast between wisdom and foolishness, especially in chapters 1 and 2. That God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. For it said, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of proclamation to save the folly, the folly of the proclamation to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians 1, 20 and 21. We see it in James, where, where the wisdom from above is contrasted with the wisdom of the world. Just turn with me in your Bibles, please, for a moment to, to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses, verses 13 to 18. Notice first that the, the wisdom from above is demonstrated in good conduct and meekness. And then James describes it. He said it is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and it produces a harvest of righteousness. So, so the way that he describes wisdom is in works. Worldly wisdom is also described by its works. He said it is, it is foolishness, it is full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, and produces disorder and every vile practice. Wisdom and foolishness are exposed by their works. Again, wisdom is not just about knowing, it is about doing. Understanding the will of God means doing the will of God. As Jesus taught in Luke 7.35, wisdom is justified by all her children. He, he means that wisdom is proved to be wisdom by its fruits. Understanding, understand God's will, grab hold of it, and understand what it means for your daily life. Seek to walk in wisdom, redeeming the time because the days are evil. C.T. Studd was a, a British cricketer. 
He famously played for England against Australia in the match that, that provided the origins for the Ashes series. And if, if you know anything about cricket, that's a big deal. But when his brother became gravely ill, it prompted him to ask the question, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? He concluded, I know that cricket would not last, and honor would not last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. And so C.T. Studd gave up cricket and poured out his life as a missionary in China and in India and in the Belgian Congo, where he died at the age of 70. Now the Lord may not be calling you to give up your career aspirations and to go overseas and to serve Him as a missionary. Or maybe He is. But I'm certain of this, that He is calling you to live your life, all of it, for the glory of His name. In Matthew 16, 24-26, Jesus told the disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Or what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? C.T. Studd wrote a poem about these very things, and I'll leave you with a refrain. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray again. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that we so easily waste time forgetting the fact that we are not our own, but that we've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Christ. Lord, would you forgive us for our failure to make our lives about your glory. Lord, would you please forgive us for, for all of the, the time that we spend in sin, for the time that we, we throw away in, in idleness, for the time that, that we even work hard and, and do so-called good things, but not because we want your name to be glorified. Lord, would you forgive us and would you set us free from, from being satisfied with anything less than living a life for the glory of God. Lord, this is, a, this is a, a weighty prayer. But Lord, we pray this with confidence that this is your will for your people. We pray this with confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit in, in the lives of your people. Lord, would you make us a people who live lives for your glory so that your kingdom will be expanded, so that your, the, the glory of your name will be resounding. Lord, in this church, in this community, in this city, this country, in this world, we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ the only one who was worthy.